you mentioned uh, earlier in the introduction the number of elections that are taking place this year. Uh, most importantly, I suppose, the presidential election in the USA, but also our own general election. Uh, and do you think that both these events are going to be uh, exploited uh, by those who would do us harm uh, through the various mechanisms that we've just been discussing? I think I think 100 percent they're 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 being exploited as we speak and they're going to be exploited. And yes, we've got the US election in November. We're already seeing the information operation going around that. And we're seeing um, uh, a number of uh, statements that are going in to try and continue to create a hiatus in the US decision making um, environment around a the competence of um, Joe Biden as president um, around uh, the status of the southern border and uh, how how that's affected and that's linked to aid to Ukraine and to um, Israel uh, and we're seeing you know a number of other internal uh, political issues inside the United States being influenced through through information. But the number of elections this year, you know, it, it is significant and there, there are other big countries, big players in it. You know, we've got um, next month we've got the Russian presidential elections now arguably that's a foregone conclusion we know who's going to win and we just don't know by by how much but what we will see in the information sphere is um a different amount uh and, and different uh style of information being put out towards the russian domestic audience pre-election so putin can get his bigger majority um by fair means or foul um, and then after that i think we're going to see a sea shift uh sea shift in what's going on um where he uh, then says you've now given me the mandate to do even more and we'll start to bring out some of the truths that there are around Ukraine um, to uh, enable them to call up more people and get, get the de defence industrial base working harder. The UK's got two elections this year. We've got local elections in May and that provides a perfect opportunity for those that want to interfere with the general elections in the autumn to practice what it is that they're going to do from a political perspective. And we're already seeing that. You know, we've just seen, um, you know, two Labour candidates sanctioned uh, from the Labour Party. Now, they made statements um, that were anti-Israeli. Um, it would be very interesting to drill into those statements to see whether those were actually the the individuals' beliefs, or those were fed to them by different groups that are within the constituency that they're trying to work for um, to try and suggest that they put those in. And then if you look at those groups, who's actually funding them? Who's behind the groups? What's pushing it? Why are they pushing those sorts of statements? And see whether um, you know, those potential or those parliamentary candidates were actually set up. And they could well have been set up um, because that's, that's what happens. Um, we've then got EU elections in June uh, across the board, the whole of the EU elections. And you know, the EU is not a... Um, coherent, homogenous um, grouping at the moment, there are real splits appearing. And that's a perfect opportunity for those that want to try and push the EU from an economic perspective down even further, uh, or for those that want to influ influence it and cause greater um, in-house fighting. And therefore, it's a perfect opportunity for the, for the Russians and potentially the Chinese to get involved. Um, and then, of course, we get into September and there's some, you know, the big South American elections, Brazilian elections are in October. Um, so you, this this is not an insignificant year for uh, the potential to influence um, elections, not just to get a single candidate that's going to support uh, one one view or another, but to create dissent, to create as many little political fractures 
not just inside countries, but between countries and within alliances that can possibly happen. Um, and is this something we've seen before? Hell yes. Um, and it's something that's been manipulated before. In the last general elections um, and, and the referendum, we had the, the Cambridge Analytica scandal where um, your political parties were paying this um, AI company to analyse big data and, and look at ways of targeting their information campaign to try and um, convince people or tweak the way people think to vote in, in many different ways. And I've got you know a little bit more detail on how that can happen. The, 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 the big difference between what went on during the Second World War um, and what goes on today when it comes to the power of information is that during the Second World War, much of the information output was controlled at state level. So the government controlled what went out on the BBC during the war. The government censorship controlled what went into the newspapers or what didn't go into the newspapers. So it made it easy for government to put propaganda in there, to put disinformation in there, to try and mislead, um, uh, uh, but with uh, a military or political intent behind it. However, today, and I'm, I'm holding up my mobile phone, today we're, we're connected. Everyone is connected. You know, I could write a tweet that I know will get to a government minister instantaneously, and I know that that government minister will probably reply to me. Now, during the Second World War, to get to a government minister, you would have to write your letter, type it. It would go in the post. It would go to uh, the outer office. The outer office would act as a gatekeeper and read it and decide whether there'd be any action to it. And very often it would go on file 13 in the bin. Um, but if, if it needed to go through, it would go through a series of levels before getting to a key decision maker with a, a briefing attached to it and a suggested reply. And that reply would come out. Now I can get an instantaneous reply from a decision maker at that level. Um, and the amount of information that's flying around, that's who I can interact with. If you look at what's going around in um, uh, all the different social media um, platforms from you know, YouTube to um, uh, LinkedIn to TikTok to X or Twitter, as I still call it, um, to everything else that's out there, the messaging is um, very short. There's very little substance to it. Uh, it's designed to elicit emotional response. Now, that emotional response is designed to cause you know, us as human beings to react in a certain way. What if you can control that emotional response? What if someone can deliberately work out how to target you or your friends with a message in a certain way that you know you're going to make yourself or one of your friends respond in a different way? Is that possible? And the unfortunate answer is yes. Um, there's some very good research on manipulative marketing. Um, I've got a blog on um, my Greyhair Media website called Hacking Your Serotonin. Um, the the, uh, the uh, manipulative marketing looks at how you can um, take the marketing principles and start to um, uh, you know, apply those to influence the way people think. And if someone turns around and says, as they often do to me, oh, I, I will never be influenced by this, you know, those of us of a certain age, if I say in advert terms, hands that do dishes, you'll automatically think of, um, you know, a specific washing up liquid. Or if I played a tune um, and uh, struck a match up, you'd start to think of um, a certain brand of cigar um, or another tune with a little boy pushing a bicycle. You think of a loaf of bread and a certain bread maker. Now, that's manip manipulative marketing. You know, you you immediately are associating something that is in your brain you know that that 
the music for the cigar, the little boy going up the hill with the music makes you feel good. It it, it gives you that cozy feeling. And um, all of a sudden you're you're manipulating the way your brain's working. Now you take manipulative marketing techniques and you take the access to big data and you take what big data can gain from people's social media profiles. And even if you're not in social media, your friends will be, your relatives will be and all the rest of it. So you will know generally the groups as to how people um, uh, where people are operating in, you can work out their socioeconomic background, you can work out what their beliefs are, you can work, work out what makes them tick, what doesn't make them tick, you can work out where they're sitting on the fence politically or um, uh, with other decisions and find out ways of trying to push you off the fence one way or the other by combining the two together, by targeting um, stuff that you're reading on your mobile device through all these social media platforms uh, and that's targeted in a way that will affect, you know, there are four hormones um, called the feel-good hormones. They're called serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins, and dopamine. Um, and those are what control your behavior and how you feel and how you think and everything else. And if you get a good picture that comes out um, with some nice music, it can relax you, it can change the balance of those hormones. And that's what it's all about. You take that into manipulating the way people think from a political perspective. And you know, again, you can trigger anger or you can trigger joy or you can trigger um, happiness by targeting different things at different people. Um, our interconnectivity allows those that want to influence us to get down to a level of fidelity of being able to target not just groups of people, but now individuals. And we bring in our, um, the the generative artificial intelligence through ChatGPT and, and everything else now that increases that power by, by another factor. So I personally think that what we are, the danger that we ha have at the moment is that our very democratic principles have got a real potential for being undermined because we are not aware of this. And the standard human reaction is, I'm not going to be influenced by anything. I can make my own mind up. Well, yes, you can make your mind up if you know that your mind is being influenced. But if you don't know your mind is being, if you don't know that your mind is being uh, tweaked or affected or anything else, um, this can be done very subtly. Um, then you can't make your own mind up. It's being made up for you. That's scary. Uh, initially, my impression would have been that the propaganda war globally in Ukraine, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, was being won by Ukraine uh, because they portrayed mm -hmm. themselves as as the, as the poor sort of victim of a vicious attack. Uh, albeit that the propaganda war within Russia uh, may have been being won by Putin. But I, sus I, I suspect that that balance is changing slightly and that uh, Ukraine's information, bleak propaganda, whatever you want to call it, is not as popular worldwide as perhaps it was a year ago. Um, so that's just one aspect, and Philip no doubt will have something to say about that. The second one, again, coming back to Gaza, uh, would be that I think that... Um, uh, certainly up till now, Hamas has been winning the propaganda war uh, because we see the results of it in, in the, the vast pro, um, protests in all European some, uh, countries, particularly in London, with people climbing over war memorials and so on and so forth, and the police seemingly unwilling or unable to intervene. Um, so I think that and the, the Israelis, although they have made attempts to um, to underline the horrors of the 7th October um, uh, attacks and the damage they caused, 
That information has been swamped by what's coming out of Hamas, because to be honest, Hamas is not really quite as concerned about the truth as the Israelis are. But again, Philip will have views on that. Well, Stuart, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head um, with, with all of them. Um, the Ukraine narrative uh, ha- has got nowhere else really to go apart from you know, the, the Russians invaded us. Please, please, please help us. And they were Ukraine was ahead in the information game, got out very quickly indeed um, from from the start, uh, and backed that with military successes on the ground by pushing Russia out of um, Kiev um, and then pushing it back into the east again and, and everything else. Um, Vladimir Putin was concerned about that, but you know, Putin thinks long term. So this is where, from a long term perspective, he's been solely working at um, Western Ukraine fatigue from a political perspective, knowing full well that Western political decision making is done um, or, or political priorities is done in prime ministerial or presidential um, or parliamentary timelines. Um, and knowing that the elections were coming up in 2024, and that was almost a hard stop. Um, and if he could create as much friction um, between different um, political groupings or different organisations as he could, um, and he could hold the conflict out um, beyond beyond then, then you know, he, he could wrestle the initiative back in the information um, sphere. And that's what he's doing. Um, and that's from an international perspective. He's always kept that domination in his domestic perspective. And Ukraine were doing well. Um, the West is not doing well at all. Um, and I'll come back onto that again. Um, Israel, Hamas, you're 100% right. Hamas came out um, firing from the, the very beginning, being backed by Iran um, and uh, wider areas in the information domain. And they're, they're very good at working that, knowing full well that this is an area that um, they can exploit because they cannot beat the Israelis militarily. So this is why you know, whenever we hear of the casualty f- figures, they're always women and children. We, whenever we see the, the television pictures that are coming out, um, those television pictures aren't gathered by independent news gatherers. Individuals that post those out um, are controlled by Hamas. So that's why we see pictures of women and children and, and children's bodies under rubble and um, residential buildings being flattened uh, and everything else, because um you that those are the pictures that Hamas wants us to see. They want the world to do that because they know it's influencing the world in an anti-Israeli way. And they're seeing that with the protests that are happening in London and other cities around the world. Um, and they want to keep stirring that up as much as possible because they know that that is um, working in, in their favour. But more importantly, Iran wants that more importantly because they know that that's beginning to fracture um, some of the international relations that there are and international support from Iran. Oh, and surprise, surprise, Iran's linked to Russia's linked to North Korea um, through supply of ammunition. This suits Vladimir Putin even more because it's got Ukraine off the front page headlines in uh, many of the papers. So the Ukrainian truth can't keep coming out as to as to what's happening. So it's it's hurting the Ukrainian um, uh, information campaign. And there's one other area that I'll expand on to, and you, you sort of touched on it and said it's, it's all gone away. But actually, if we look at what's going on in Northern Ireland and stuff at the moment, um, we can see this writ large in many cases. Um, and some of the examples in that, you know, we look at the um, statements that come out from a lot of those that are associated with the Republican movement. Um, and those statements with regard to how the security forces operated during the, the, the time of the Troubles. And if you're reading their narrative, 
every issue that there was was caused by murderous gangs of British soldiers and um, uh, uh, police officers going around into Republican areas and just murdering everyone willy nilly. And there was never, uh, you know, there, there was no other blame on any other side. And these poor IRA people were just protecting their communities. That's the narrative that's coming out at the moment. And then we see the um, the First Minister in Northern Ireland turning around and saying that we're now on a clear path to um, a united Ireland. Well, if we read the detail behind it and you, and you look at it, you know, yes, there were one or two incidents where the British Army or the RUC got involved, where um, it is highly questionable as to whether um, the casualties were justified um, for the actions that were carried out. And it's a shame that um, that wasn't properly investigated and prosecuted at the time because uh, history's allowed it to fall into the propaganda stakes in what's going on. But if we look at something that is current, um, and it's the you know, the Sinn Féin claim that we're not, because there's now a, a Sinn Féin um, first minister, we're on a clear path to United Ireland. If you read the wording in the Good Friday Agreement, the wording in the Good Friday Agreement couldn't be clearer. It requires there to be a majority of the population of Northern Ireland who agree to a, um, a United Ireland. And everyone's saying, oh, but Sinn Féin has got the majority, therefore you know, we're, we're on path to that. No, they're a majority in a parliament, in a, in, a, in a political party election. And if you add up all of the votes that Sinn Féin got in the last local election, and you tend to get a bigger turnout for, um, uh, for um, the, the, the left-leaning parties in local elections, um, and, and add up all of those who had a United Ireland or nationalist view, they got 335,000 votes. The registered number of voters in Northern Ireland is 130, uh, sorry, is 1.36 million. And therefore, um, that puts Sinn Féin 25% under the numbers that they'd need to get a 51% majority. And uh, you know, therefore, they're a long, long, long way off. But what are we hearing all the time? Message after message after message, United Ireland is just around the corner. It's just around the corner. It's not. It's a long, long way off. But they want to keep pushing that message out. They know that they're trying to mislead. This is this is a disinformation campaign building on the back of the publicity of there being the first Sinn Féin first leader. I welcome there being a Sinn Féin First Minister in, in Northern Ireland. I, I don't see any problems with it whatsoever, but you you have to, we have to have something that stops our politicians from coming out with disinformation and deliberately trying to influence the way or or, or manipulate um, through lies. And this is, this is what it is. It's lying, um, influence the way people think and, and, and potentially vote.